I would encourage you, I would encourage all of you um, to, to get that book, Frank Bartleman and um, his account of Azusa Street. For those of you who may not know uh, what we're speaking of and talking about when we talk about Azusa Street, Azusa Street, the, the Azusa Street revival was a uh, historic Pentecostal revival meeting uh, that took place on a street called Azusa in Los Angeles, California. It is, it is considered uh, by most uh, uh, religious historians to be the primary catalyst for the spread of Pentecostalism in the 20th century. And, uh, and not, even just, not even just in uh, the United States, but all across the world. All across the world. Amen. People, uh, this, this, this tremendous revival, it, it, lasted, it lasted over a decade and uh, sometimes they, they had uh, uh, services going on 24 hours straight for days and days and days at a time. And uh, it's just a, just a remarkable, just a remarkable uh, uh, outflow of, of the Holy Ghost. And uh, it, it was categorized by many uh, just spiritual encounters. People, people testified of the fact that uh, they would get sometimes uh, two blocks away and be hit with conviction. Two blocks from, from the Azusa Street mission. And um, they, there were so many times when people would see fire uh, on resting on that building that they, uh, so many times they'd call the cops and call the fire department. And only it wasn't a, a literal fire, it was Holy Ghost fire. And, and uh, on and on and on, the, the, the stories of, of this great revival uh, we, we, we could talk about them, but it, it, uh, thousands upon thousands of miracles uh, uh, trans, uh, uh, what, what happened in, in, in that, uh, were demonstrated in that revival, dramatic worship services, people laying out for hours, speaking in tongues under the, the presence and power of Almighty God, thousands of people receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues uh, happened in that Azusa Street revival, people Hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of people came in from all over the world. As I've already mentioned, they came in from all over the world to experience this uh, powerful display of Pentecostal uh, anointing and Pentecostal power. But but uh, so this book is a marvelous read of 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 this revival and 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 all that went with it. But there was one passage. Uh, Brother Tap, there was one passage in this book that that has just it it when I read it 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 uh, just came off the page and it uh, it has just uh, stuck with me these last several days and weeks or so as, as, as since I have read it and because when uh, Frank Bartleman was describing these powerful services and the effect the effect that God's presence was having upon those who were a part of it, that these people, hundreds and thousands of people would come in and out of that mission on a daily basis, and, and it was so changing them. It was so, it had such uh, an impact on their life. And, and, and one of the ways that Mr. Bartleman describes uh, the impact that the power of God had upon these people uh, is, is what spoke to me, and, and because he wrote this, and I quote, Divine love was wonderfully manifest in the meetings. They would not even allow an unkind word 
to be said against their oppressors. The message was the love of God. It was a sort of first love of the early church returned. The baptism as we received it in the beginning did not allow us to think, speak, or hear evil of any man. We knew the moment we had grieved the spirit by an unkind thought or an unkind word. We seem to live in a sea of pure, divine love. You see, when true apostolic revival was poured out here on Azusa Street, it it was manifest, it was made known, it was brought about because of the great love that they had one for another. Divine love one towards another was wonderfully manifest in those meetings. And I've come to propose to us this evening that if great love was a characteristic of great revival then, then I also have to believe that it is still a characteristic of great revival today. Anybody believe that? And I'm not preaching to one or two, I'm preaching to all of us tonight. To see great harvest and to experience great Pentecostal power, we need to have great love one to another. Great love one to another. And if we're not careful, and and here's the thing, love one to another. And here's here's the thing I want us to think about. Here's the thing I, I, I I want us to think about. If we're not careful as a people, if we're not careful as a church, and God's already moved in this house tonight and lives were blessed and touched, and so I just want to talk to us now and teach what I I feel like the Lord would want us to, to know. But if we're not careful, we in the church can confuse friendship with love. It's not the same thing. How many know you can be friends with somebody but not genuinely love them? You see, being kind to someone is not on the same level as loving that individual. Well, I'm I'm kind to them. I'm nice to them. I'm, I'm a friend with them. But that doesn't equal love. Being cordial to someone, being considerate, of someone is not on the same level as loving someone. And I felt for several weeks now that it would be God's will for us as a church to grow in our love one to another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. The book would say it like this in John chapter 13 and verse 34. He said, A new commandment I give you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. So you love one another like I loved you. Wow. Come on, somebody. Think about how Christ loved you. When we were yet sinners. As I have loved you, I want that is I want that to be the manner the form, the fashion in which you love one another. Verse 35, because by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. 
So this verse is showing us and it is letting us know that all others, talking about the world, those outside of this room, they're going to know that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say they're going to know it because of how we dress, even though that is a a real thing. But this is letting us know that the world is going to know that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ because of the love that we have one for another. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Then the book says this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life, from death in sin to life in salvation. We know that because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So this is telling us that our continued evidence that we are walking in salvation and that we are walking in redemption and that we are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. I mean, no disciple means a follower. A follower of Christ. How many know, how many know you, can, you can be saved but not be a follower of Jesus Christ? You get saved and stay where you are, you're not following. Right? If you just camp out at a certain place, you're not following after Christ. And so he says, here's a really good way for you to know if you're a disciple. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he said, you're going to know because you love one another. Mm. You have a great love to all others in the body of Christ. So when you put these two passages together, we see that the world is going to know that we're saved and the world is going to know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ because of the love we have for one another. And we're going to know that we are truly a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. How? Because we are loving one another. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. You see, and, and, and you know, in, in, in the climate of our world, the climate of our world, it, there, there is so much division. Come on now. There's so much division uh, specifically in, in many forms and in many fashions, but uh, this, the, there's such a there's such a, a a voice in our culture that is trying to divide people uh, by ethnicity, by color. And one of the things that you read about when you read about this Azusa Street revival is that you know this was this was back you know, you know early 1900s 1905 to 1915 somewhere in, the, in that area that 10 15 year time period and and it was, there was such segregation there was such segregation in that that time uh, in our world but but what was so uh, mind blowing to all the newspapers and all the people around that uh, and, and, and the news was spreading all over the world about this Azusa Street revival is that in that little mission there were white people and black people worshiping God together laying hands on one another and praying one with another and loving one another 
And even though the context of their world was maybe even uh, worse than ours, uh, hopefully that's gotten better. I believe uh, in many ways that it has. But, but uh, in, in the context of their world, when, when that division between those races was, was so much further than what it is now, the world would look at that Azusa Street Revival. The world would look at that and they would say, there's something real. We might not understand it all. Come on, Jesus. We might not understand it all. We, we might hear them talking in tongues and we might not get that. And we might see how they're doing this, that, and the other. And we might not understand it all. But there's something about that love that they're having one to another. In a culture where those two uh, People of different colors hate one another and fight against one another and are divided one with another. We don't see that in the revival. We don't see that at the Azusa Street Mission. So there's got to be something to this. The world is going to know that. Oh, hallelujah. And even in our world, there needs to be an understanding. There needs to be an understanding and a love one to another. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, irregardless of color, irregardless of finances, irregardless of what kind of car you drove up with, irregardless of what kind of house you live in, irregardless of what kind of clothes you're wearing, irregardless of what your, uh, your education level might be. doesn't matter. We love. We are to love. We are to love. We are to love one another. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And the world is going to see that and the world is going to recognize that and the world is going to know they're disciples of Jesus Christ. This is something real. I mean, no, there's so much fake in our world, right? There's so much fake in our world. There's so much stuff in our world that's just, uh, just passing and trivial and nothing to it and no substance. And our, our world is looking for something that has the ability to truly change a person's life and truly change a person's mentality and the way they think. To change an individual from, from hating someone because of the color of their skin to being then filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and the love of Christ. And because we've been filled with the love of Christ, we love all others. Come on now. And the world is going to see that and the world is going to recognize that. And the world is going to notice that's real. Because emotionalism doesn't do that. Come on now. Emotionalism doesn't change racism. And hype doesn't change a racist heart. But the power of Almighty God living down on the inside of somebody can change the way they think about somebody and can get them to the place where they say, I didn't used to love you, but now I love you. So evidence... Evidence, evidence, evidence of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is the love that we have one for another. And I believe, I believe uh, one of the reasons that God chose love to be the indicating factor of our salvation and the indicating factor that we are followers of him and disciples of him is because you can't fake love. You can't fake it. You might be able to fake praise. But you can't fake love. You might be able to fake even some of the fruits of the Spirit. How many has ever faked joy? Come on. 
Now you're faking something else. Anybody ever faked peace in certain circles and contexts? You didn't have it, but you faked it. You see, you might be able to fake kindness, but you can't fake love. You might be able to fake sympathy, but you can't fake love. You can fake friendship, but you can't fake love. You see, because real love will either be seen or not seen. Now hear me. And there's nothing extra you need to do in order to show it if you truly got it. And there's nothing you can do in order to convince people that you've got it if you don't really have it. So the world is going to be able to tell if we truly love one another and we are going to know that we are truly disciples of Jesus Christ because of real, genuine, biblical love flowing through us and out of us to all others in the body of Christ because you can't fake love. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody said amen. And so now as we continue talking about love, that this love, this great love that we are to have one to another, let me just remind us again that real love is not a word. It's an action. You can say I love you all you want, but real love isn't a word. Real love is an action. It's an action. Action shows love. Action proves love. Real love shows up not necessarily in what we say, but what we do. Let me show you what I'm talking about from Scripture. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. And then he said, am I by my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And so when the Lord asks Cain where his brother was, he responds with something that had been in his heart. A long time before it left his lips. <coughs> For he said, am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to look after my brother? Am I supposed to know what my brother's going through? Am I supposed to be concerned with the goings on of my brother's life? Am I supposed to care about the issues that my brother might be facing? Am I my brother's keeper? <clears throat> and here we see, now watch it now. Give me your minds for a bit. Here we see that the moment he stopped being his brother's keeper and caring and having compassion on his brother was the same moment that he put himself in a position to judge his brother which eventually leads him to murdering his brother. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I, I, think, I think too many of us distance ourselves from this particular story because it's obviously not talking about us. 
since we would never murder anyone. So, wow, this is, this is talking about a whole different class of individual. It's not talking about me because that would never be something that I do. But the book says this, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. If we hate our brothers, we are a murderer. It is the same spirit. It's not necessarily the action. It's the spirit. And I don't know how much more plain it can get that we can't hate our brothers and go to heaven at the same time. Come on, is that what it says? I mean, you don't have to get into the Greek and Hebrew on that one, right? And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Many say that the opposite of love is hate. Some say it's indifference. Some say it's hate. I believe it could be either one. But could it, so could it be that to have no concern, to have no care, and to have no thought of others in the body of Christ, am I my brother's keeper? To have that type of mentality, is, could it be a form of hatred? I don't care. I don't care about them. What, what, what do I care? What am I concerned about them? Could it be that that is a form of hatred? And that hatred towards them is the same in God's eyes as murdering them. Same spirit. So no, we might not ever physically murder somebody, but our lack of love towards them puts us in the same category and the same judgment and the same penalty. Hmm. I believe God's talking to us tonight. And again, it's important that we're not confusing friendship with love. It's important that we don't confuse tolerance with love. It's important that we don't confuse just getting along with somebody as love. You see, because we can, how I many know we can uh, do a really good job of convincing ourselves of things that aren't true? <laughs> well, I love them. I love them. I love them. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't yelled at them, and I shook their hand, and I smiled at them, and so I love them. No, <laughs> just not yelling at them doesn't mean you love them. Just shaking their hand doesn't mean you love them. Just smiling at them doesn't mean you love them. So there is a love test. You want it? To know, okay, do I truly love them or is it just friendship or is it love? Is it just kindness or is it love? Is it shallow or is it love? There is a love test to determine if what we have one towards another is really love. 1 Corinthians 13 and 3. I'm going to read it in a different translation. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Here's the test. 
Love is patient. Okay. Are we patient with people? You want me to keep going? <laughs> How many have already flunked the love test? <laughs> love exemplified, love acted out to all others is patient. <coughs> love is kind, kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's the way you're going to do it. You're going to do it my way. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not resent. You cannot love someone and resent them at the same time. You cannot resent them for things they've done, said, whatever, and love them at the same time. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Well, good. They're going to finally, they're going to get what they deserve. That's been, that's been coming a long time. I was just waiting. I knew what they were doing, but nobody else did. Now, now everybody knows. That's not love. But it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures. If, if, if we are exemplifying these characteristics towards all others in the body of Christ, then we have true biblical love. But if we're not showing forth these characteristics, then it's just possible that we don't have the love towards all others that God would want us to have, and we need God's help. Come on now. We need God's help to get us to that place. We need God's help to work on us and change us and mold us and take some stuff out of our lives and put some stuff in our lives so that we can have that kind of love one for another. See, because I just, I just don't think, I just don't think that, you know, we're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, you know that whole love chapter, all that love stuff? Yeah, you know, you got two out of the ten. Right? I believe he put it there for a reason. I, I, don't, I don't believe those were suggestions. I believe these were commands, that this is what love looks like. And if we're going to have real love and not just say we have real love, but actually have real love, then it's going to be exemplified in this manner. And this is the manner that God wants us to show love one to another. Oh, Hallelujah. Somebody said amen. amen. So let's go back to this subject of being our brother's keeper. Everybody good tonight? Brother's keeper. Having love enough to be concerned with the needs 
of others. For just like, just like Cain, the moment we stop looking at ourselves as our brother's keeper and the moment that we get to the place where we start thinking things like this, well, I got my own issues. Come on now. I got my own issues to deal with, so why should I be concerned about their issues? I, got, I, got, I already got too much stuff to worry about. Why should I be worried about them for? It's quiet right now. I got barely enough time to meet all my own needs. Why should I concern myself with the needs of others? See, the moment we start thinking that we're not our brother's keeper, then just like Cain, that'll be the moment we put ourselves in a position to begin to judge people. See, if you love them and you show love, you're not going to judge them because you don't judge people you love. Come on now. You don't criticize, condemn, tear down people that you love. But when you get to the place where you begin to think like Cain did, I'm not my brother's keeper. I got my own issues. I got my own struggles. Why, why should I deal with any of their stuff? That's when we take that next step and we begin, it begins to be very easy for us then to begin to judge people. Am I making any sense right now? We start judging them. Why, why did they do that for why did they say that? They're in that mess because they got themselves into that mess. If they hadn't done such and such, they wouldn't be going through what they're going through. They got themselves into it, they can get themselves out of it. I know none of you have ever said anything remotely. I would have never made that decision that they made. They need to learn their lesson. I could help them, but they wouldn't learn their lesson. <laughs> and I'm busy, and I got my own stuff, and so they got themselves in it. They need to learn. You see, we have those thoughts, and we say those things because somewhere along the line, we had that same feeling that Cain had. I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not my brother's keeper. There, there's no concern there for our brothers and our sisters in the Lord, and because of that, that lack of love, that lack of love, that lack of love then leads us to a place where we begin having a judgmental spirit towards them. Mm. Oh, hallelujah. How many know, how many know that people you, you love, you may see uh, issues in their lives, but you love them so much that you go to them humbly and lovingly and, and you put a lot of thought into the words you're going to say, right? And you, you pick the right time to say it because you sincerely and honestly and truthfully want to help them be better. That's what love does. It doesn't just, it doesn't, you just don't overlook stuff, but you also don't judge it criticize it, and condemn it. You're very intentional about helping that individual. Why? Because you love them. You wouldn't tear them down. Why are you doing that for? Why them? Blah, 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 blah. 
Love them to the place of wanting to restore and help and renew, strengthen, help them to get better. But how many know if you don't love the person, you just judge them? You just criticize them, condemn them. Yeah, better figure it out. Come on now. Love, 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 love. No, that kind of attitude, we, we, we won't be holding a knife and we won't be holding a gun, but we'll murder them. Words, deeds, actions. We are our brother's keeper. We are our brother's keeper. You want to know why? Because we are a part of one body. And how ludicrous is it to say, I don't care about them. When you're a part of the same body. It's like the hand saying, I don't care about the foot. It can fall off for all I care. Okay, well, how, how, you know, how far is the one body going to get? With one foot that fell off. Right? The eye saying, I don't care about the ear. Ah. See, this is, we got to understand this. It's, it's not us against them. It's not, it's not we're here and they're there. There, there. there is no division between us. We are a part of one body. And when they are helped, we are helped. And when they are strengthened, we are strengthened. And when they become better, we become better. This is where love, we are to love the one body of Christ. Because we're a part of it and because God is the head of it. Come on, Jesus. And so love, love, love should drive us to the point where we help, comfort, do our best to minister and strengthen one another. I am my brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody said amen. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, this lawyer guy was talking to Jesus, thinks he's going to put Jesus in the corner. Trip up the one who knows all things. <clears throat> he says, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But watch what the guy responds back. He says, but he, willing to justify himself, make himself look good, says unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You're going to tell me I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. All right, so you tell me who my neighbor is, and and I'll love him. Now, most scholars agree that he was trying to justify himself because of the fact that he was willing to love his fellow Jew 
but that's it. If you're a Jew, I love you, but if you're not a Jew, you know. So he wanted the Lord to specify to him who his neighbor was so he could feel good about loving only his own race of people or only those that were closest to him. And he wanted to be justified in who he loved in order to make it look like he's doing everything he's supposed to do and that he's not lacking anywhere. Does that make sense? For many of the Jews at this time only considered those who they deemed worthy to be their neighbors. And therefore, the, the ones that weren't who they deemed to be worthy, they were not worthy to be loved. But look at how Jesus answers. Now, I need your minds. Think with me. Look at how Jesus answered his question. He says, well, you tell me then who my neighbor is. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. And Jesus answering and said, so I'm going to tell you a story, bud. He said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite came, and when he came to the place, he came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, and he poured in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to the inn, and he took care of him. And on the morrow, or on the next day, when he departed, he took out two pence, and he gave them to the host, the owner of the hotel establishment. And he said unto him, take care of him. I'm giving you this money to take care of him. And whatever you spend us more, if there's anything more than this that you need to take care of him, I'm going to come back again and I'll pay you back everything else above and beyond that you had to pay. Verse 36. Jesus tells this story and then he looks back and he says, Sir, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor? unto him that fell among the thieves. You tell me who the neighbor is. Verse 37, and he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, yeah, go and do thou likewise. The thing I need you to see is this. The man asks Jesus who his neighbor was. But the Lord flipped it. And he says, you tell me who this broken and bleeding man's neighbor is. Did you see that? He didn't answer the man. He asked the man the question. The lawyer just wanted to know, tell me exactly who I have to love. <laughs> but the Lord flipped it back on him in order to make him understand, hear me, that if there is someone that he was unwilling to love, then that is an issue that he had. If there's, listen, if there's someone you and I do not love, we may want to think it's because it's an issue that they have. We don't love them because they are this, they are that. This is why we don't love them, because it is their issue that is making us not love them. When in reality, if we do not love someone, it is an issue we have. 
If we don't love somebody, it has nothing to do with the person. It has everything to do with us. You just don't know what they did. You just don't know what they said. You just don't know this, that, blah, 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 blah. It's not about them. If we don't love them, it's not about them. It shows us. There is a reason why that priest walked up to that man who was broken and bleeding and then walked around on the other side. There was a reason why. There was a reason why that Levite walked up to that broken man and then did nothing for him, didn't love him enough to help him and stop and walked around on the other side. And whatever reasons they might have given for not meeting that man's need had nothing to do with the man. Nothing. It had everything to do with them. With them. It didn't matter how much they justified their actions. It didn't, didn't matter how many, what list they could pull out for all the things that that individual is dealing with and the wrongs and the issues and the struggles of that individual and this is why I don't love them. You can pull out a, a list that falls to the floor. But it doesn't justify a lack of love. It just shows what's in your heart. It just shows what's in your heart. Ooh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. So, yeah, somebody in the body of Christ might not be your favorite person in the world. But you can't allow that to justify your lack of love towards them. It doesn't matter. Come on. <laughs> Let's just get real. How many know there are people in the body of Christ that struggle in the kindness area? But we are not to withhold love from people in the body of Christ because they're still working on some stuff. How many people would love you? Oh, you got it all together. Yeah, you, you're, you've done fixed everything. I know. By the quiet. It's amazing to me <laughs> how much we see in other people, but we don't see in our own selves. And I'm very thankful other people loved me as I continue to move forward. Should we also not love others as they progress forward in the things of God? Well, if they wouldn't do this and wouldn't do that and wouldn't whatever, 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 then I'd love them. Well, what do you do? What do you do? I'm sure you get on people's nerves too. We can't justify not loving someone and not ministering to someone based upon something in their character or their personality because we got stuff too. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with us if we withhold 
love. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. We need God to help us. It's not a flaw in their character. It's a flaw in our character. It's a bigger flaw in our character. It's more of a problem in us if we withhold love because somebody gets on our nerves. And I'm teaching so good right now. In fact, and I'm hurrying, and I'm hurrying. The, 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 Lord, the Lord makes this so very plain, just, just takes all the gray areas out of it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So even if someone in the body currently hates you, God's going to deal with them about that. They're going to have to work on that and get stuff under the blood and get healing and help and all kinds of stuff. But even if they hate us, we are still supposed to love them. Now listen, you may think if you had any justification for not loving someone, surely, surely I don't have to love somebody that hates me. Right? Yeah, you know, you know other people get on our nerves and other people, you know, do have little personality things and whatever, whatever. And I realize I probably shouldn't withhold love for somebody like that. But surely I, 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 I get an exemption here. Surely I get an exemption from loving someone who hates me. The Lord says, no, you don't. Because anybody that you withhold love from, again, it doesn't show anything about them. It shows an issue in you. It shows an issue in you. And he said, and oh, by the way, you don't just love them, but remember love is an action. So do good. Do good. Act. Let there be an action where you show your love to people who hate you. Mm. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody said amen. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody said amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Figure out what to do here. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we love you, Jesus. Lift your voice, could you? God, we give you praise. God, we give you praise. God, we give you praise. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of the Lord. 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 Oh, I love you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let me just say this as I close. But in reading that, a book and, and, and even just reading of other uh, 
revival outpourings all across the world, different times and different centuries gone by, you'll see there's this connection between great love and the miraculous. So many miracles, which the greatest miracle is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, greatest miracle that there is. But there is this divine connection between this love that we're talking about and the love that is to be displayed, this love that is supposed to be exemplified in uh, those who have received Christ in their life and been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and, and, and the miraculous at work in that body and in that, the midst of those people. There is a connection there. And it's not accidental. It's not accidental. Because so many times, and it's true, and there, there would be nobody in the room, I don't believe, that would argue with me about the power of faith in relationship to the miraculous. Right? I believe everybody in the room understands and knows that when you have faith, it produces the miraculous. Great faith, great miracles, exemplifying faith produces miraculous things. I don't think there would be anybody that would, that would argue with me about that. It is biblically proven time and time and time and time again. But I want you to look at what the book says. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Charity, there's the word for love. The greatest of these is love. So here we see plainly from the word of the Lord that the power of love is greater than the power of faith. Mm. So if you think, and it's true, that faith produces miraculous things, what will happen when the body of Christ starts exemplifying the true biblical love that his word is inspiring us, commanding us to get to. Can you imagine the kind of miracles, supernatural things that are going to be made manifest in the house, in our lives, when we have that kind of love? Being displayed. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. I believe, and I'm done, but hear me now. I believe there is a, a direct, it's proportional. Our depth of our love to the amount of the miraculous. You want to see miraculous things in your home? Love more. You want to see miraculous things in your life? Love more. We want to see miraculous things in the church? Love more. Oh, hallelujah. The closer we get to the divine love wherewith and how Christ loved us, the closer we get to that, the greater the miracles are going to happen. The greater the supernatural, the greater the harvest. The greater the revival, the greater all the things that God desires to do. Why? Love. Church, I wish I could express this to you, and, and I'm done, but I wish I could express this to you, how I feel these, even these last couple of weeks of there's just been such a weight upon me. There's been such an urgency within me. There's been uh, such a, I, I don't even describe 
the, the proper word, but there's just been such a something within me to to try to instill and and to to try to uh, minister to you, precious people, in this wonderful church of the power of love. And what would happen in our midst? Come on, Jesus. What could happen in our midst if we began to love one another like we're truly supposed to love one another? Not just friends with one another. Not just acquaintances one with another. Not just showing up on Sunday and Thursday and sitting next to them on a pew and worshiping with them in a little bit and saying hi and shaking their hand. How was your week? We go in our car and we don't think nothing else of them until we gather together again in the house of the Lord. That's not the kind of love. That's not love. That's, you know, that's just companionship. That's just friendship. I'm talking about real, genuine, biblical love. We would begin to love one another as Christ loved us. You know what he said? He said, he said, I gave myself to you. I laid down my life for you. No man would love another so much that he would lay his life down for them. What if we got to that place, biblical, true, biblical love, where we would make sacrifices one for another. Come on now. Sacrifices one for another. Biblical love. Biblical love. Biblical love. Let's stand. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Is this, is this just a gathering of people to you, or is this your family? Is this just people you happen to show up at the same place at the same time a couple times a week? Or is this the one body that you are a part of? How do you view one another? How do you view those people around you right now? When you look around and you see one another, how do you view them? Is there care? Is there concern? Is there compassion? Is there a willingness to sacrifice for them, to help them, to love them, to encourage them, to minister to them if it is within your power to do so? Is, is that within you? Do you have that kind of love for thus for those in this room, or is it just people? Just people sitting here. You might not even know their name. Worship with them for two years, and you don't even know their name. Oh, hallelujah. God's trying to help us right now. God's trying to help us right now. Could you lift your hands? I believe God's talking to some folks. He's talking to me. I want him to talk to me. I want him to talk to my heart. I want him to deal with me. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. God, I pray you give us revelation.